My name is Linda Nardelli. I'm a spiritual counselor and the author of Mystical Intimacy, a book on embodied mysticism. This is the last episode of the series on mystical intimacy. And for this episode, my guests are a circle of participants sharing their thoughts and sentiments on the last chapter of my book, a chapter on love. I feel so moved by their vulnerable sharing, their openness and intrigue about what love means to them. And and for some, they shared about their struggle to, to feel loved and their, that openness. It was just so moving, so moving. The conversation centered on our needs, what they are, and the validity of our needs and how to honor their intrinsic value. We don't often think of needs as as honorable, as having value. We often think of them as something we're, we're either struggling to meet or that there's something wrong for having those needs, and we explore all of that. We also explore how we tend to externalize our needs. We live in such outward-going, achievement-oriented, and productive people that we do the same thing with our need for love. We externalize it. We make it about how other people are not loving us right or not treating us the way we need to be loved. And we make it about struggling the ways that those needs aren't being met. Simultaneously, we abandon ourselves. We also explored that to really get those needs met, for our outward connection to be fulfilling, we need to come back home to ourselves and cultivate self-compassion. We need to cultivate understanding towards ourselves, which then what it allows us to receive the care we need because we're being caring towards ourselves and we're being a magnetic frequency for the care we need. Ultimately, in this conversation, what the participants and I did is we explored how acknowledging our needs fills our inner well to overflowing and supports us in being powerfully magnetic and alive in the world. Just taking a moment to ground. We come, we come here with different intentions. Some it's more for the, the, the study of what's in the book, the study of the teachings and the energy. For some it's to be inspired, to be moved. For some it's to nurture need for healing and the healing light that you are in the world we all come here for different reasons my reason is that I this book has been my life it's my life and I've been finding creative ways to share it and to deepen always deepen my experience of it because Julia like you said you read it again and again I mean God knows how many times I've read this book (laughs) Mm. And um, I get more from it each time. It's when I put it and put the book out, I, I felt like an imposter. I felt like, who wrote this book? It just felt like a a larger aspect of me wrote the book. Felt like um, Mass India, the group soul that I work with, but also felt like my higher self, and it felt like a knowing that rivered through me. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to pause. Hmm. So like I was saying, I, I initially felt like an imposter and then reading it and deepening and writing up blogs about it and, and my podcast and meetings around it and finding the teachings 
blending into the private session and the group work really showed me how much the teachings are embedded in my in my being. And what I, I look for in sharing this this with you is, is I'm curious about in what ways that it resonates for you. You know, going back to what inspires, what inspires us, it's it's truly, I mean, I, I change, I shift that to what resonates, what excites us, what moves us, what feels right. And we live at a time where there's a lot that doesn't feel right. There's a lot of chaos. We're, we're in an age of chaos right now. We're in uh, the throes of healing, the throes of uncertainty and unknowns. So seeking for the beauty and seeking for connection in that is so important. So thank you for meeting me. Because this is a conversation. I like to hear the sighs and the laughter and whatever wants to come. Mm-hmm. I have an idea of some questions I want to begin with, but is there anything anyone here wants to share before? We begin. Like let's all say hello at the same time. Hello, welcome. Thanks hello. for joining me. Hi. Hi. And before the episode began, we started talking about what brings each person here. And those are the key elements. It's the study of the chapter, the study of the content, being light beings, needing healing, yearning for. For belonging. So where I'd like to begin, there's a passage in here that I'd like to share. And I'm I'm just going right to the beginning. Right at the beginning. I've I've underlined so many sections myself. (laughs) Oh my goodness, that a client once come and almost every page had dog ears on it. (laughs) I wish I'd thought to take a picture. It's like, I want a picture of that book. What I write here is, do we judge a flower or tree for its need for water? Do we make a baby wrong for wanting the breast's milk? Our need for love is fulfilled when we cease trying to justify its worth. When we rest in the certainty that it is as essential as oxygen to our lungs. When we no longer struggle with the enormous task of reckoning with our sense of value, we finally stop. We rest and draw nourishment into our lives in a restful state. We receive support and sustenance. Physically, the cells of our body draw an optimal energy to balance our whole physiological system, helping us maintain vitality. Emotionally and mentally, we exude the radiant expression of our soul and spiritually, we are, we are open to greater ease and fluidity when we stop trying to justify our worth. And saying that, earlier today, I joined a friend for a birthday. It was a gathering around brunch, and I had to do some substitutes for and the dish that I ordered. And then to the person beside me, who I don't know very well, I said, oh, I wish I wasn't like that. I wish I was different. And he caught me. Mm-hmm. He says, I love that you're different. Let's celebrate that you're different. Let's celebrate that you need <laughs> substitutes. And, you know, and he says, she's a servant. That's what he, she's here for. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, that felt so good. Instead of you know being embarrassed or ashamed that I have dietary needs and restrictions, I could celebrate my dietary needs. You know, it's it's really something, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah, that justifying our worth, we all do it. We all do it. We all work really hard at some level or other. We have since we're children to measure up to an idolized version. So I'm curious how, how that lands for you. How do you experience that in your lives? You know, when you read, when you hear that line, we don't, do we judge a flower or a tree for its need for water? Do we, do we make a baby wrong for wanting the breast milk? And yet we make ourselves wrong for needing love. And our need for love is fulfilled when we cease trying to justify its worth. And that's a big, I, I've, I've started with an intense and big topic. Mm-hmm. It's a big one. Well, I can speak to um, an experience I had today um, with getting starting to get a cold sore. I've really struggled in the last 30 years with, you know, running myself kind of ragged and then I get a cold sore and I was always really angry and frustrated about it. And, and I'd be like, Oh, I can't believe this is happening right now. I'm busy. I've got things to do because I get quite sick when I get a cold sore. And I finally had to stop being at war with myself around that and reframe it to, you know, I felt, I did felt like I'm not lovable because I have cold sores and I'm weak and, you know, I just had all this judgment about it and it just made me feel worse. I was already feeling bad and then piled that all on top. And so I started calling my cold sore fester and I was like, fester's rearing <laughs> because it's a reminder that I have to take care of myself and stop and slow down and get some rest. I mean, I've been going pedal to the metal for a week for my 60th birthday ridiculous over the top celebration that happened for four days so <laughs> I that my niece called boo a palooza because it's my nickname boo and it was seriously some of the most fun I've ever had in my life <laughs> so I'm a little tired today at 60 after being up solid for four days practically at a festival <laughs> um with with over 50 people coming to stay um and hosting them uh, so I was like, oh yeah, Fester's reminding me I have to take <laughs> and be rested for today so I could join. You can hear I'm almost losing my voice too. And that was just from pure laughter and dancing and singing. <laughs> so, you know, I reframed it and Fester's my friend now and I'm not at war with them anymore. <laughs> so anyway, I think, uh, but it took a long time to kind of reframe that to not be just beating myself up. I'm weak and this and that. And it's just, you know, my immune system and uh, it's the way it works. And it works really great a lot of the time. <laughs> oh, I really appreciate you saying that because that's what we do. We instantly make wrong. That's my default setting. What's wrong? What's wrong? Instead of what's wanting to unfold, what's needing nurturing, 
I, I've had sensitivities my whole life. My instinct, like at the restaurant this morning, is to uh, focusing, focus on it, make, see it as a negative. It's just utter instinct. Mm-hmm. Um, my um, stepdaughter, soul daughter, has sensitivities like that, and she's a newborn child, and her, her in-laws said, oh, Oh, is he eating? Is he eating this? Is he like he's he's starting to eat food? Well, don't don't turn him into someone like yourself. Oh no! <sighs> so our system, our society, our collective—it's—it's—it's it's, it's hard to not have that default because we're all part of this collective. So that's why you know this idea of measuring up to an idealized version is so unfair to us because because. We don't experience the food sensitivities, the, the 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 immune issues, the cold sores, the the you know all these the, the psychological imbalances. We don't experience that because there's something wrong with us. We don't experience that because it's ours alone. Mm-hmm. We experience that because we, as a collective, are working through what that. Um, particular experience represents what a particular experience means. We're we're working through that together. So when a client comes to me and they're you know, first thing, you know, they they give me the list of what's wrong with them, and I join them by by thinking by by addressing by by sharing this must be wrong with us. I join in. I join in. Because they're thinking that about themselves, but would they think that about me? Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be able to rely on me. They wouldn't be able to trust me if they perceive me in the same way. And yet I can relate with their suffering. I can relate with their suffering because I'm blessed with this human nature. I'm blessed with being part of the collective. And I get really close. I get really close into that because that's how healing happens. I can't really support transformation if I keep a safe distance from what my client is struggling with, from what a participant is struggling with, what a friend is struggling with. And I can't support transformation either if I get so close that I become enmeshed that I'm not the observer anymore. That I and that and that's when I, you know, that's when we operate out of the flight, fight, freeze, appease, because then we're we're surviving that with them. And if I join someone in my work, or if you join a friend or a sibling or a partner with that same kind of energy, you end up getting stuck with them. When I think of love to overflowing, I think. We're falling in love with the person's misery, our own included. We're falling in love with fear, and we're falling in love with anger and hurt and despair. And we're falling in love with the cold sore. We're falling in love with this richness of experience. Karen, we can see you. Your video's on. Welcome. I realized there's... There was a tape over. 
the sticker <laughs> over the cow. Somebody put uh. this over top of the camera. <laughs> Isn't that how it works, eh? I thought that was weird. <laughs> the simplest mm. things. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts, Karen, on what we've been sharing? Um. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's a lifetime of conditioning that takes us there, really. And um, very few of us grow up in households or areas where everyone is so loving about you and praising you and telling you how great you are. And even as children, we compare ourselves to other children. And then we're, we're surrounded by stimulus constantly. If we watch TV or look at videos or do whatever that are, that are saying that you're not okay and and then there's a bit of arrogance that comes along with you know someone who thinks they're really okay yeah there's a, there's ego identity when we're another mm-hmm. so I, really, I think it's really hard like for me it's it's I think it's really hard to love yourself I think it's easy to accept other people loving themselves because you can see the beauty in them and you can see the talent in them and you can see everything that they have that you might want and then you reflect that back on you so you compare yeah and it's hard to turn that on to yourself i don't i don't know why but it it's it's a difficult thing for 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 it's been it's been a difficult thing for you Mm -hmm. to love yourself yeah in a lot of in a lot of areas like in yeah and to not compare myself and to not, yeah. I can really relate to that. Yeah. Can you? Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to add to what you said about, you know, just the conditioning and, and um, what I think what makes made it even more confusing for me as a child was that I, I had so much love around me. I had so much, you know, my, my, you know, adult figures in my life and caretakers were all really loving but also compared me to those around me um, and also criticized me. So I think like it makes it even more confusing when it's, it's all kind of packaged with love um, for a child. So um, yeah, it's been a, it's been a journey. I still struggle with loving myself, but uh, now I can, I can catch myself and I can um, be aware of it when it happens. Um, Yeah. So it's it's still a struggle though. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a it's a it's a job. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Mm, I uh Cindy is joining us. I could feel their presence coming mm. in. Mm. Mm. I think for me in listening to what you, what what's being said is um I don't really have a concept of love. It wasn't something that was ever given to me at any time as a child growing up and later in life, it was sort of uh, conditional in a sense. So to love myself, I probably really did at one time, but I didn't think about it as loving myself. I just took care of myself, made sure I did joyful things, you know, tried something new because I hadn't done it before. So was experiencing more of myself, but I didn't um, think of it in terms of loving or not loving myself. 
So now I strive for loving myself. But the truth is, I don't have any concept of it. So to me, it's like I'm wasting my own time, in a sense, to focus on that, where I can maybe choose another word. So I've been trying to think about it in the sense of compassion for myself, Hmm. as opposed to being caught up in this word of love, because I feel like that word is like saying you're sorry. It's just tossed around and everybody talks about it, but... I don't understand the true concept of love, which is unconditional. Mm-hmm. To see myself as God sees me. Simple as that. Uh, but I, um, it, it, it's a challenge. I try, I try to choose better words for myself that it isn't a challenge. It's just I, I don't think I have a, a real comprehension of it. So there's nothing to really grasp onto. Well then, let us help you. May we join you? Yes. Mm. Mm. Ophelia is our name for Linda, her spirit name, and she just realized, oh, when I invited people, I didn't mention you'd be joining. So is everyone all right with us being a part of this conversation? Yes. 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 Hmm. Let us just for a minute or two or three, maybe for eternity, (laughs) pull the, it's so hard to love myself. We're going to just put that over here. You could take it back at any time you want. If you really have to. Hey? Most people work very, very, very hard to get the love they want and need from other people. Comparing oneself to someone else means that you are operating out of the belief that you cannot be loved as you are. So you're projecting your need to be loved from those that value what you're envying or those that value who you think you're supposed to be for love. So that means that you're putting your need for love somewhere outside of you, as far away from you, so that you don't have to feel it. That's self-protection. That's protection yourself from having felt not loved. Some aspects and some parts of your life. And for some of you, you have felt that so deeply that it's a trauma. Hmm. And that's okay. That's okay. You don't have to not be traumatized. To cultivate an intimate relationship. We're so careful here with your need slash longing slash birthright for love. Yes, you can be wounded, you can feel alone. 
your self-esteem could be mm, really trampled. And you can still cultivate a deep, intimate connection with your need slash longing slash birthright for love. And we can give love many words, many meanings, compassion, empathy, um, being seen, heard, understood, being safe, being supported, being soothed, comforted, having a right to be here, belonging, belonging as you are. Now, and that is, okay, difficult. Because that need slash longing slash birthright belongs in the realm of the inner, the yin, the feminine aspect. Think of it as sanctuary or your inner temple. Now, we know what's challenging you, and it's not you. It's that you live in an extremely patriarchal world all through the globe, a patriarchal time that's really getting pushed and pulled in every which direction right now. You live in a society worldwide, even in North America, that defines value based on what you do. It defines it based on your external, what you've achieved, how much you have, where you live, how many friends you have, how many followers on social media you have, and so forth and so on. How are you supposed to cultivate an intimate relationship with your need slash longing slash birthright for love, for belonging, for beauty, for resonance? For feeling taken care of and supported and safe and good about yourself. When the society you live in, the media, the, the, the culture as a whole, family, friends, are constantly operating out of this externalizing. Need to measure up to something. You are constant providers, constant achievers. There is little room for most of you for resting in this being within the yin aspect of yourself. And you can't compare your yin. You can't compare your inner sanctuary. You can't compare what you need you can't compare that to anything or anybody because it's not visible. It's completely an, an, an utter and beautiful mystery. So we're not here to convince you that you're worthy of love. Because some of you are convinced that you're not. Like, okay, we're here to embrace that, normalize that, to understand that, 
to see that with grace. It's okay. It's okay. Hmm. I'm just landing here in that message. Hmm. How is that for you? Mm-hmm. Um, I think what was interesting is when I read the passage in the book, um, it's not that you don't deserve love. You simply need it. It's natural. And I think there's a connotation around the word need slash neediness, being needy. Yeah. And it feels like when somebody says, I need love, it's like, oh, that's a red flag. <laughs> yeah, to totally. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my God, she's needy, right? Yeah. And, and, and the struggle for me has been accepting that my needs are valid, mm-hmm. that it's okay to have needs and to articulate them and have those needs honored and respected mm. because I feel, and I don't know if I'm alone, that if you have needs, oh my God, <laughs> look, here we go. And then you voice them. Right? And have you talked <laughs> to you somebody, voice them. Right? Yeah. Have you talked to somebody <laughs> about that? Like, you know, you might want to get that under control or, oh, that's not <laughs> right? And so I really enjoyed when Spirit talked about the yin and the inner and the feminine aspect that your needs are unique to you. It's okay to have them. Like you simply, it's natural. I wish I had a t-shirt that said, it's okay to need love. Mm-hmm. It feels like there's something that you better work on there. That's <laughs> so okay. I, I appreciate it in the book. And then I appreciate they come back saying that I think the yin is to go quiet and to honor that your need is unique to you and to, to protect it. Like it's a vessel that's going to get it. It's yours. Don't even try to explain it. <laughs> Just mm-hmm. own it. Right. Just own that. It's okay. Oh, to have that's that. it. Don't even try to explain it. Yeah. If we that take was the, my message. Remember? That yeah. That was my message. Yeah. If we take the explain, the justifying, the defending of our need out of the picture, we're so much more open to possibilities. Um, Julie, thing you just said about neediness, I 100% have felt that way too. <laughs> Where it's like, I don't have time for a needy person in my life. <laughs> it sort of reminds me of um, the difference. Well, like when I first kind of learned about self-care I was like oh but that means I'm being selfish and I think it's a similar sort of thing it's like no it's like self-care is actually necessary and and uh, like invaluable and um, crucial actually but uh, it's very different from being selfish mm-hmm. one of what if I could say sorry I just wanted to say um, one of my favorite quotes is um, self-care is not selfish. You cannot serve from an empty vessel mm-hmm. you know, to make sure that you're, you know, you are filled so that you can continue to give. Otherwise, exactly. you know, you're just, it's, if it's empty, then, you know, mm-hmm. you've already given everything away. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, and that would be so like poignant that. to you because you've been very much in a position in your life of having to tend and care for others. And so to, to, for you to be looking at how do you fill your well? Mm-hmm. And how do you tend to you? Because how else can we tend to others? Mm-hmm. And I, I refer to that, you know, change, change the word selfish to self-embracing. Mm-hmm. Like that. And I, my favorite new quote that I just heard last week was, or a couple of weeks ago was, self-care is not selfish. It's sacred, baby. That's <laughs> 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 it. And I just, I just channel her all the time because she's, she's like a force to be reckoned with and mm-hmm. promote self-care and self-love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's literally what I do. <laughs> that's that's what my focus is in 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 my work with people as well. And uh it's you know something that was mandatory for me with my own personal experience of health issues and injuries and whatnot and it became something that wasn't an option to not do otherwise I wouldn't be be here really yeah and so you know it it I don't want people to have to get to that place where you you can't even function anymore because you're not focusing on your self-care and you know it's just Mm -hmm. like you said it's not selfish it's so it gives us more it actually gives us more of an opportunity to give to others because we have more of ourselves to give and we have a better version of ourselves so Mm -hmm. you know that um it's it's, um, I mean uh if I could say that um uh you know I I watched my mother do it so I did it as well and um she just went 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 and just basically you know went until she dropped Mm -hmm. and so I I did that as well and uh, but I learned after a few times that if you wait until you hit the wall and then say, oh, I need mm-hmm. to care for myself. I need to get some counseling. I need to get this. I need yeah. to do, I need to go get a petty, whatever. By then, it's a lot harder to kind of put the pieces back together than if you do it along the way. Yeah. So, Linda, can you go back for a sec? Because when um, the, the spirit was channeling. They said something so amazing. It was the putting need for love outside me. Um, and then talked about the self-protection that can you, cause I thought that was just like interesting the way we, is it project our need for love onto somebody else or how can you just, cause. Yeah. It's interesting that showed up in the last eight week series. We talked about that. There was a practice of, of self-love like, what do we love about ourselves? And then the next time we met, what we did is in um, in our breakout rooms is we looked at how the difficulty to love ourselves is often what we project onto others. So um, we want our spouses, we want our friends and family members and coworkers and bosses to value ourselves, uh, to value us. Well, we in turn, find all kinds of ways to, to avoid that. We, we, we look outside of ourselves and then we struggle against the way that they're not loving us the right way. So it's interesting. 
what came up, same as here, is just this difficulty, this challenge to love ourselves. And yet the list of how do we want others to love us? So we, we, we're challenged to care for ourselves. We're challenged to self-soothe. We're challenged to self-embrace. Uh, and yet we'll fight with others. We'll complain about how they're not loving us the way we want to be loved. So Massey is saying, come back to the self. Oftentimes, I'll mitigate a lot of really negative situations in my marriage when I stop to like to put myself in my partner's shoes. Like, how does that feel? Or when I'm trying to get something from him, like, wait, I'm working hard to be heard here, but am I hearing myself? If I'm working really, really hard to be heard, and if I don't feel heard, I'm struggling with Possibly not feeling worthy. I'm struggling with not having felt hurt growing up. I'm struggling with something. It's my struggle. But as soon as I'm clear about what I need, he joins me. It blows my mind. It just blows my mind. I remember being in the kitchen. This is a while, this a few years ago. And I remember feel so alone. There's no affection. He's so busy. And I'm just really negative. And I was going to try to get that from him. And I'm like, stop, stop. And I had the thought in me, "Mm, I love my need to connect with him. Mm, I just cherish when he touches me. That's it. I didn't push. I didn't force. I didn't go to him. I didn't argue. I didn't struggle. Next thing you know. He comes, stands behind. He stands behind me, and he puts his hand on my back. He's like, "What are you cooking?" So affectionate and so tender. What did I do? I savored my longing for his touch. I just savored my longing. That's it. That's all I did. Put yourself in the shoes when somebody's trying to get something from you. A certain kind of love from you, a certain kind of affection from you. And they push and they push and push. You've been on the receiving end of that. Either it's, um, okay, they're quote unquote needy for, you, you know, their sense of worth is so wrapped up in what you do for them. Or they're distant and they need space. One way or another, there's a need that they're trying to meet. But we we cultivate incredible connections. We cultivate magic when we can be really, really curious about that underlying need when we're not making it wrong. Like what I mentioned at the beginning, do we make a baby wrong for needing the breast milk? Sometimes kind of (laughs) go off on a tangent. Did I answer your question? No. So actually, so what you're, what you've just revealed that we know to be true is that when you went to the, he's not this, I don't have this, I don't have this, I don't have that. So the negative energy, the not having meant you didn't have it. But when you shifted it to, Mm. oh, it would feel so good if I had this. 
and felt what that would feel like, energetically, you brought that in. Yes. So it was just a case of shifting your energy from not having to how good it feels when you have. And then mm-hmm. it immediately just, they brought it in for you or you just, you attracted it in. So lack and not having creates more lack and not having. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I think that's the challenge of the need for love is it mm. can be like, I don't have love. I'm not being loved. I need it badly versus, right? And I think yeah. it's the need that sometimes can propel it away as opposed to bringing it in. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so true. It's, in, it's, it's our perception of that need, our making the need wrong, um, our externalizing the need, making it about what the other person is doing, made it commit what even what we're we're doing, rather than staying connected with the need. Can we make the need right? We want the other person to make our need right, but can we make our need right? Can we value it? We want the other person, the external world, to make our need for love right, but can we make it right? Can we savor it? So then the hurt that we have for not having gotten that need met, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm. Um, <laughs> shifting it from lack and not getting it and the pain and the trauma and the, and it gets reinforced and reinforced. So we have this collective experiences of I'm never going to be loved. I'm not blah, 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 to having it and I think that's the challenge is shifting off of the the wound and into the healing part of being healed because love is so healing, right? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Yeah. There's a fellow by the name of Jason Gaddis that teaches, um, he's the founder of the relationship school. And one of the things that he teaches, he calls it the four fundamental needs. He talks a lot about needs. But he refers to needs in relationship. And talk about making needs right. Talk about valuing those needs. He says, in relationship, we all need, and he calls it the four S's. We need to feel seen. Well, we need to feel safe physically and emotionally. We need to feel seen, soothed, and supported. Now, what that looks like, feeling safe, is... if you're in a work environment that the demands are unreasonable and you're overworked, you're not in a safe environment. Your need to be safe isn't being met. Mm. If when you try to express that, you're being criticized and you're being treated, you know, um, the, the message is that you're not measuring up. Now, you're not being seen. You're not being heard. So you're, you're, how can you feel valued? You need to feel valued isn't being met. So you're not feeling safe. If, just using work as an example, if your supervisor, it just keeps focusing on what you're not doing right and keeps focusing on um, how, how much you have to achieve and isn't listening that this is this is how much you can do during your t- your time frame and what you're being paid for then you're not feeling soothed comforted reassured 
your job security isn't reassured. So your need for reassurance isn't being met. And support. If your supervisor manager sees that there's a way that you can maybe be more efficient and presents that to you as um, a collaborative exploration and works with you, now that's supportive. They might challenge you. That supervisor might challenge you in a way. It might be difficult, but if they stand right there beside you and are supportive of you and believing you, and if they're meeting your need to be reassured, they're meeting your need to be seen and safe, then that level, that kind of support is manageable. You can handle it. But if the way that they're challenging you is critical, you're not going to feel supported. And many of us grew up in childhood, as I certainly did, where there was a lot of criticism. No, notice some of you named that earlier. My father was very critical. I went to live with him when I was 14. And the first week he he criticized everything about me. Like I needed my lo- my dad's love, like you wouldn't believe. Like, you know, I was a young teenager. I all I wanted was his love. I instead he criticized everything about me that wasn't of him. Mm. That was of my mother and her family. And that's so damaging. That's so damaging. So in that, no, no matter the, that he loved me, my need to be loved wasn't met. Okay? Took me a long, long, long time to uncover that he did love me. Mm-hmm. Just when he learned to express it, it was on his deathbed. That's when this man expressed his love. Like, couldn't I like, oh my God, I mean, I'm, I don't regret, I don't regret our lives. We, it, to me, it, it taught me so much. Like, I truly accept that my soul chose that. I truly accept that. And I'm so glad that we had those final moments. But it's, I'm saying all this to say, it's good for us to know where we stand. It's good to know in a relationship spousal relationship, sibling relationship, parent-child relationship, work relationship, friend relationship. It's really important for us to know if our need to feel safe is being met. And not only that, but are we a safe person for the other person? Are we a safe person for our spouse? You know, if we check out, if we're not available, if we disassociate, are we a safe person? If we complain, if we attack, if we criticize, are we a safe person? If we self-sabotage, if we are critical towards ourselves, if we self-depreciate in our relationship, are we a safe person for the other person? Hmm. And that safety goes right to the cells of our body. You know, that go back to what mass, what that part. You know, where Mass India says that, you know, uh, no, this is, it's not, I'm, I'm jumping ahead here, that physically the cells of our body draw in optimal energy to balance our whole physiological system, helping us maintain vitality when we receive what we need. Right? Not when we fight to get what we need, it's different. Not when we struggle to get what we need, but when we receive it. And to receive is first 
being aware that we need it. Developing an intimate relationship with that, that need. Honoring it. Mastin Dia goes on here to say that to give and receive freely is a state of being in love. They're not talking about um, giving our complacency, giving our uh, over-consideration, over-extending ourselves. That's not giving. That's being caught up in conditioned responses. We're doing something uh, to not be disapproved of. We're doing something to not to 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 avoid conflict. It's not really being free, unfettered to love, but to give and receive freely. It, it means we bring a lot of curiosity to bear on our lives, and it, they say it's it's a state of being. In love, not doing in loving, being. It's a state of allowing the divine to guide and embrace us, breathe through us, and dissolve our holding patterns. I love that. It's not about us dissolving our holding patterns. It's not about us having to fix ourselves. And it's not about that. It's about allowing the divine to move through us, to dissolve that. Then it doesn't matter who nurtures us in return or how or when. I talked about an incident in the kitchen with my husband. It, it may not have been in the moment, but it might be later. I might come to him and say, I'm missing you. I, I'd love some touch. I'd love to connect. He may or may not be able to join me all, but how vulnerable I might get rejected. Okay? But that vulnerability is a gift. Unfettered, allowing spirit to move in the possibility of what can arise between us. And again, it doesn't matter who nurtures us in return or how they say, because our self-honor becomes a magnetic frequency that draws in what we need. Back to what Julie was saying earlier. When we connect it to that, we become magnetic. We see struggling for respect and affection. We see struggling to get what we need and rather are opened to it, are filled from within. If you're needing love, if you're needing affection, if you're needing connection, if and comparing yourself, then you're making yourself wrong for that need. And you're telling yourself, I don't measure up. There's nothing that's, it's okay. It's okay. We all do it. Karen mentioned that earlier, but she's, she's speaking for all of us. We all do it. Now, can we be aware of it? And can we be affectionate and kind towards that within ourselves? It's like, oh, look, I'm comparing myself. Oh, look, I'm believing that I have to measure up to that to be successful. How old do I feel in that? How old am I when I believe that thought? And we can bring tenderness and care to that young part of us, thing. Jason, I'm watching you nodding. What's resonating here for you? Can I ask you that? I don't know if there's any specific thing. It's just um, 
that, uh, yeah, it certainly has fit many circumstances in my life. By comparing uh, but, that, um, oh, uh, comparisons, um, uh, meeting needs, uh, everything you're you're referencing uh, right now. Yeah, I I can. I'm I'm sort of just jumping back in in my own timeline, just seeing those things uh, happening to me, and and sometimes how I might have actually express that outwards to someone else. Um, yeah, but I'm substantially more aware of it now. So. Mm, substantially more aware of it. Bring more of your presence to that in your life. Yes. Yeah. And how, how does that change your perception or your experience of your own relationship with yourself? Um, I think I'm just more present with, um, with looking for it, with, with trying to be aware of it rather than just wandering through the day, um, with the day's activities. So more, um, more thinking along how am I doing and what am I doing? Um, what what effects uh, do my actions have? Uh, what effects do others uh, others actions have on me? Mm, so you're being curious. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, rather than just take things at face value for what they appear, rather than operating, perceiving through the conditioned mindset. Right. Maybe open to greater sense of awareness. Thank you. I kind of put you on the spot there. <laughs> I'm the spot guy. <laughs> so any thoughts or any questions, any other passages of the chapter that you'd like to... <clears throat> forward i realize it's 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 105 i said an hour but i'm, I'm so enjoying connecting with you i need to let you go <laughs> i feel like um there's there feels to me uh, in the discussion a lot of talk about looking outside of yourself still for love mm-hmm. and and putting s- stuff on somebody else in order to accept what you need when the truest form really should not rely on anybody else to do anything for you or have a need to do anything for you or say anything to you in order to truly love who you are and be able to give and receive freely without any kind of judgment or expectation and just acceptance. Okay, can I just, because that goes back to the initial quote. Um, You simply need love, Mm -hmm. right? And I think what the narrative, and I agree with you, Krita, that I grew up with is to need it 
is not, a, you should be able to find it within. Right. right? Um, and, and I think that what spirit is saying is, or what I'm reading in this book is it's okay to need it and feel it. I think we're taught a healthy person doesn't need love and to be validated. But what this is saying is you do need love. And, but I think that the subtlety is, because I think it's healthy to have love come from external sources, right? Mm-hmm. Which is what Linda talked about when her partner came up behind her and hugged her. It's, it's yeah. kind of that really gray area of the needing it and expecting somebody else to give it to you versus imagining what it's feeling. So I don't necessarily think that to be happy and healthy, you have to be on your own and give those things to yourself. No. Yeah. But spirit, because I think we're sort of taught like, oh, you don't need somebody to make you happy. You don't need someone to love right. you. You should be able to do that all on your own. But I, what they're saying here is it's kind of like, I don't know that it matters where that love comes from, whether you generate it or somebody gives it to you. It's that feeling of being in love and being loved, that feeling of what does it feel like? Does that make sense? And I just, I think sometimes our narrative is you don't need a man to be happy. You don't need, like, do you know what I'm saying? I think there's like a negative twist to the need and and where that love comes from. I think that's where we kind of, it gets murky here for us. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It can get murky, very murky. And we start going into spirals of self-judgment. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Oh, we shouldn't need that kind of thing. And then we throw ourselves off a cliff in a different direction. <laughs> so I'm going to say. I, I, I was just wondering if I could just share something. Yeah, maybe just, and maybe you sound very simplistic. Um, but, um, you know, talking about being worthy of love, feeling worthy of love. Um, you know, am I worthy of love? Um because I've, I've struggled with not being good enough my entire life. And, um, but I found what has really helped me is that um, I share my love with everyone I meet. And by doing that, you know, I, I receive so much in return, so much love. Um, and sometimes I don't, doesn't matter. I don't do it to receive it. However, um, you know, it's proven to me that I am a lovable person. You know, there's no denying it. I, I am lovable. And, and, you know, through all this giving of myself, I mean, I'm a caregiver. I have a daughter with special needs. So, I mean, there's a, I've been a caregiver for over 20 years and it's not going to end anytime soon. It's going to end when I die. And um, so, I mean, it's very natural for me to give. Um, I also love to make people laugh. So uh, when I get to make people laugh, you know, I, I get a lot out of it. They get a lot out of it. There's a lot of exchange of happiness and love. And then through that, I just get so much love. And then, you know, I, I just think, yeah, yeah, I'm pretty darn lovable. All right. And uh, <laughs> but I still struggle with, you know, not feeling, you know, that I'm living up to, you know, these standards or, or what have you. But there's that other part where I'm actually being very fulfilled by love, by giving love. Does that make, I don't know if that makes any sense. It sure does. I love that bantering and interaction and what I'm getting from it. 
is that we should need love from others because we do. And we really spiral and really get messed up when we project that, when we fight for that, when we struggle for that, when we make it about how they give us love and how they don't. And we suffer if they're not giving it to us the way we want it. But if we could just stay, stay here with our need for that love, then we celebrate it with the people in our lives. We celebrate it. If we're not connected with our need for love in relationship, we tolerate. Um, we tolerate abuse. We tolerate um, being treated poorly. We, we tolerate um, people behaving in ways that don't feel right. We don't set boundaries. Um, if we're not connected with our need for love in relationship, we don't express it. We don't teach the people in our lives what we need to feel loved. If, if I didn't, I have, I have a need in relationship. My friends know this. My partner knows this. I need to be heard. That is huge for me. I learned that in my 20s. That is so big. So, so. So what did I do? I attracted a man that's, that was very disassociated. <laughs> and his idea of, you know, like, oh, Linda's going through something. I'm going to avoid her because she needs space. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was convinced Linda needs space because he needs space. So I was crowding him and he was giving me way too much space. Okay? Our needs weren't being met. But the turning point was to get close to that with each other, to honor that within each other. And for me personally, I mean, he, I can't, I can't be uh, being the perfect wife that's constantly always aware of what he needs. I mean, I'm, I'm not superwoman here, but I can be vulnerable with my need. I can go to him with my need to be heard, and I can check in with him. Is this a good time for you? And not make him wrong if it's not. And to ask for what we need, I think, too, because I think we, uh, we expect partners or family or friends to be mind readers and know what we need. And sometimes we're not even sure ourselves. Like, I know sometimes if I'm feeling agitated or a little frustrated or whatever, a lot of times I'm sad underneath or scared or whatever. And so just taking some time to kind of check in with ourselves and go, what is it I actually need in this moment? <laughs> and a lot of times we can self-soothe and we don't need it from somebody else. But, you know, that's the whole self-care, self-love thing is taking a moment to kind of go, hmm, what is it I'm needing right now? Am I feeling lonely or sad? Do I need to process? Do I need time alone? Whatever. <laughs> and to ask for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Letting people know what we need. Being transparent. Being transparent. So if we're trying to just do it all on our own, are we self-soothing or are we hiding? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I see. I, I, yeah, this discussion has been great because what I'm seeing now is that, or and and understanding perhaps better the what's being said, 
is that it's our birthright to have love. Mm-hmm. And Very much it, so. And it shouldn't be something that we try to avoid or um, be strong about or anything like that. That it's our absolute right, just like it's the flower's right to have water and looks outside itself to have water and for to get nurtured. <laughs> yeah. And it, yeah, it, can't, does. <laughs> it can't rain on itself. It can't. Yeah. But of course, you know. They the, need each other, right? Right. They need each other. They do. And of, and of course, the nature that needs water can't control how much or how little. Right. Right. We can't control that. But if we're disconnected from our, if we're really disconnected, we're not in our vitality. We're not living fully. If we're not in our vitality, we're not living fully. We're not magnetic frequencies to draw to us what we need. I'm aware of the time. Let me channel a, a, a channel message in, in completing our, our group conversation here. Mm. Mm. So the key word here in this group conversation has truly been about need. We want to say something to you. You and every human being on the planet can have what, what you need and what you want. Your desires and your needs can be fulfilled or you wouldn't simply not have them. You would not have a desire or a need. It, it wouldn't exist if it could not be fulfilled. So, if you're dampening the need and desire, if you're pushing it down, hiding it, how can it be met? How can it be fulfilled? Okay. Remember, it wouldn't even exist if it couldn't be fulfilled. So if you're hiding it, you're pushing it out of existence. What's in its place? Okay. What's in its place is conditioned reality. Conditioned perception of reality. What's in its place is survival mechanism. Fight, mm-hmm. flight, freeze, or appease. Not conscious, magnetic frequency, not vital energy. So just breathe that in for a minute. The how-to doesn't matter. The how-to doesn't matter. Just take a moment to absorb this message and observe where in your body. Are you absorbing it? Where in your body are you feeling a resonance with something that's been said here this evening? So it doesn't just reside in the area of the rational. So it doesn't just reside on how are you going to get love? How are you going to get the needs met? But rather in this full whole-bodied feeling, and let the resonance, let your need for love grow bigger. Let it grow so big, 
and it's as large as the room that you're in. And imagine it just can't be contained in your room. Your spirit cannot be contained in your room. Your spirit cannot be contained in any limited perception of reality. It cannot be contained in conditioned reality. It needs to flow. So let it out of your room. Let it out. Let it go into a larger dimension of reality. Let it take up space. Take up space in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what we mean by love to overflowing. You fill your well first. Yes. You don't fill your well by being separate. You don't fill your well by protecting your need. It's impossible to fill your well by hiding your need from people in your life. It's impossible. Go to a grocery store without any needs at all. (laughs) You won't be attracted to anything. It all seemed completely blah. You have needs all the time. You fill your well by embracing them. You fill your well by celebrating them. You fill your well by being curious about them, by enjoying them. Mm -hmm. We're all about savoring life, not just what you deem good. Hey? We don't see reality from good and bad, so we're not exactly in the same dimension of reality. We all see it as being so utterly magnificent. You feel, you feel, you feel so much. Whether you're up or you're down, you feel it. And as far as we're concerned, that's amazing. You're human beings, and in that humanity, you express and you experience. Reality in all its dense matter, it's rich. We're in awe of you, in awe of the courage it takes to feel. And we say, good, have more courage, feel more. Because the more you feel, the freer you are. The more you feel, without evaluating it as good or bad, the more you feel the self that evaluates, the more you are present to your experience, the freer you are. Free to love, free to overflow. Think of yourself as a fountain. Think of yourself as a river. Think of yourself as a source of energy that is completely and utterly eternal and unending. Mm, I'm going to read this last passage to complete. And it's, um, I'm just gonna, uh, it's a song. I'm not going to sing this. I'm just going to read it. <laughs> My dad wrote this. When you think of me by that grand old tree, Oh, darling, 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 there I'll be. When you come to me wanting to be free, darling, darling, there I'll be. 
Time goes by and you wonder why. You try and try. But from love, you just can't hide. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. So I hope you all take the time after this, because I know not all of you have read the chapter 12, to, to read it. Because there are gems here about returning to love. Linda, the one that I came, this was the best quote I've seen, I've read in a very long time on chap, on page 302. Mm-hmm. Surrendering to love is returning to wholeness. It is the embodiment of your true self, sense of self and ultimately remembering who you are. This is a devotional act of coming back home to you, to your sacredness. That just resonated so much for me. <laughs> So thank you. Mm -hmm. And a little later, as you remember that you are sacred, still you will at times forget and become afraid and discomforted by other people's differences as well as your own uncertainties. Observe and breathe through this. Fill your lungs, chest, ribs, and belly with your prayer to return to love. Just, Just be with what shows up. This journey, this commitment and honoring of yourself and the world brings you in contact with what you need in each and every moment in your life. This commitment brings you into contact, opens you to the fruition and the fulfillment of what you need. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. That Thank was you. Great. That's great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Thank you Linda. Thank you, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet everybody. Nice to meet you. Bye for now. Have a good night. Good night. Thank you for joining. The Body Soul Podcast is brought to you by Linda Nardelli. You can find out more about her book, Mystical Intimacy, on her website, lindanardelli.com, and on Amazon. The podcast is her deepening exploration of the book's messages and the teachings of Masindia. Music for this episode is from the Purple Planet Collection, written and performed by Chris Martin and Jeff Harvey, and the podcast editing by Igor Masharyakov.